0: opportunity a
1: Stargate Rewatch podcast. I'm Carrie. I'm Rachel. And today we're talking about Stargate SG-1 Season 1, Episode 7, The Knox, Take 2. So if you follow us on Twitter, I tweeted that there were technical difficulties that prevented us from releasing this episode last week when we normally do. Um, Those technical difficulties are, I forgot to hit the record button. I have hit the record button this week, so here we go, Take 2, we're doing it all again. Hopefully it's as good as it was the first (laughs) time. Hi. Many
0: of our stories are going to be just as good as they were before.
1: And actually, I thought of something to add from a thing we talked about before. So. Oh, really? <laughs> hopefully we, I can't we, wait! Hopefully we end up on the same tangent and I can add that in and it'll make it better. <laughs> or you'll
0: just make it look really, really convincing and I'm like, hey, you know, as long as we're talking
1: about cookies. <laughs> well, actually, it was sort of a tangent that then related back to the episode. Oh, okay. so. <laughs> Hopefully. I hope you don't Hopefully forget about it again. I don't think so, because it, it it was, it was like, Wait, really, that how, what, why moment. So I think I think we'll get there again. But anyway, Sweet. let's do it. Let's get there. Let's okay. go on this journey. All righty. So the Knox aired on September 12th, 1997. It was written by Hart Hansen and directed by Charles Correll. Or Charles Coral. So the summary for this week is... Pressed by the government to acquire new technologies, SG-1 is led to a world inhabited by a seemingly primitive race. When Apophis arrives, SG-1 ambush him with disastrous consequences.
0: Da-da-da! 1st da,
1: da. of all, I just have to say I love the Nox, both as an episode and as a race of alien beings. I think they're fantastic and I love them and I'm very happy we made it to this episode because I think it's probably... One of the best of season one.
0: Yes, um, and I have always thought that the costume designer uh, just had a field day at Hobby Lobby.
1: <laughs> yes, their 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 hair, maybe hair hat. There. I don't hair know, hair hat something. We'll get we'll get there. you will see. It's like they had
0: a discount on all the Christmas things. I was thinking
1: more Easter because it was very it's very pastel.
0: Oh, that's true. So they were like, "Okay, you guys, we we went a little over on the budget this week with the special effects or last week. So um, this week for costumes, 20 bucks. Go.
1: (laughs) And they pulled it off. I do have to say, though, as weird as it is, I kind of like it. It works somehow.
0: They wanted to save all of the special effects budget for the big reveal at the end.
1: Yes. Which is quite the reveal. Oh, the suspense we're building up as we talk about the end of the episode before we even start the beginning. (laughs) Well, tell us about it. Okay, so we open in the gate room with the gate dialing and we see General Hammond and SG-1 in the control room. And SG-1 is in their dress blue, so this is like Mr. Important Person here. And General Hammond tells Mr. Secretary... So this is the Secretary of Defense, David Swift, is this character, to hang on to something while the wormhole engages because it's, you know, quite a startling thing, I think, if you've never seen it before and have, you know, no idea what to expect. SG5 is going on a mission, and this is the first appearance of SG5. They go off, and Sam explains some of, the, like, the technical aspects of, like, the wormhole, because he's like, what, what is this? What am I, like, looking at? So we get this sort of techno babble from Sam, and then Secretary Swift says that the administration is disappointed that the SG teams haven't found more impressive technology and weapons and doesn't really see the point of what the SGC is doing. And Daniel objects, obviously, as I think they all would really, and is just like, I thought we were explorers, which they are, but apparently now they're also expecting more than just information. I think I asked
0: about last time before if you if you were the president of this universe of this United States universe whether or not you would just let them go and explore if you know a a governmental facility found a way to go to other universes or would you be like oh no you're bringing back some stuff we need to pay for this
1: yeah and I mean I would sort of be like go see what's out there and if you happen to find stuff to bring back cool and just because a You know, information is always good. And if you, you know, friends and allies are always good too. If there are, you know, alien races that can be allies to us now that this sort of whole galaxy is open to us, making friends and allies, I think would be very important, especially, you know, with the whole, there are actual evil villains out there. So, but then to go along with that, if there are these evil villains, we obviously need to be able to fight them somehow. So, but it's interesting because in... uh. Oh yeah, children. And, yeah, back in *Children of the Gods*, when Daniel's all like, you know, we, would be, we must be explorers. We must like, you know, science and science, science, science. And Jack was like, "Oh, science." And then Hammond was like, "Well, the president agrees with you, Daniel." So apparently, the president was like, "Yes, go explore and do sciencey things." I don't know if just it's been sort of a certain length of time, and now a bajillion dollars has been spent, and we don't so really I have anything. Really-
0: to- they can't cover it up with the american people with like oh yeah.
1: word you don't think they spent 500 dollars yeah. on a hammer whatever <laughs> that line is from independence day <laughs> <laughs> i mean i like i get daniel's point but i kind of also see you know this guy's point of like okay but what are you doing how is this beneficial to society as a whole whether that means you know maybe not necessarily weapons but you know technology new medicines and We have seen them bringing back some things, but I guess they're just not working fast enough.
0: Not fast enough for the military.
1: Apparently not. No. So Tilk then interrupts and asks what kind of technology that they're looking for. And the secretary asks, well, what's out there? And so Tilk then goes on to explain that there are some technologies that even the ghoul don't yet possess. And that there's this uninhabited planet where a creature appears to have some kind of stealth capabilities. So guess where SG-1's going on their next mission? What? Somewhere else? Uh, No, they're going to that one with the stealth Oh, Oh, features. okay. Yeah. Plot you know, twist. Stealth technology is good. Mm-hmm. Through the wormhole we go, and we see Jack coming through the wormhole on the other side, and the rest of SG-1 is, like, nowhere to be seen for some reason. And the gate here on this planet is up on, like, some sort of ridge. Like, there, it seemed to be sort of, like, on the edge of a cliff, and then there's, like, mountains behind him and stuff. And Jack's looking around like, Sam, Daniel, like where is everybody? And Sam comes sort of running from behind the gate and is like, I thought I saw something. And they had gone to chase after it because it might have been the creature that Tilk was talking about. And Tilk was like, yeah, we saw something. And so they start walking back towards the tree line, sort of discussing this creature. And Tilk tells the team that this creature is very large but would be vulnerable to capture while it's hovering. Apparently it hovers. Mm-hmm. And Daniel goes hover like a hummingbird. And Tilk goes with teeth. So no. th- this is apparently very uh, dangerous. Maybe scary looking thing. Which we'll see. They look around for a little bit. But they don't see anything. Jack turns back around. to, And he starts to like, tell as she wants to like, sort of get the gear ready to move out. But the Stargate has gone missing. What? Cue the opening credits. So the Stargate's gone. All their gear is gone. It's just, not, it's just not there anymore, which is interesting. So we come back from the opening credit, and Daniel asks Tilk if anything like this has ever happened before. And Tilk says no, and that if they ever, like, got lost or sort of forgot where the gate was, they had a homing device to help them find the gate again. We have a homing device, too, but it's with the gear that is now missing. We don't know what to do. Jack tells SG1 to split up. Sam goes with Tilk and Jack goes with Daniel to start searching the area using a box search. I decided to look into this because I was like, what is a box search? Like, what is that? And is that like an actual thing or is it just something that, you know, the writer made up for the show and sounds good? Turns out it is an actual thing. So after reading about it, I'm not quite sure how it works with four people. If you imagine like a box and you start at one corner And then you sort of set the ending point as, like, the diagonally opposite corner. So you send one team sort of around one side, one team of people around, like, the other side, and then the remaining team or two would, like, cover the middle. So you sort of, like, you make a box, and then people search the middle of the box, which is kind of hard to do with only four people, but... There's not. The Stargate is a fairly large thing, so I guess it would be fairly easy to spot even if there's only four people. So that's what a box search is.
0: And it's weird how everything that disappears so far has like absolutely disappeared, not just gone invisible. Yeah,
1: I mean, as far as we know, as far as we know, yes, it is missing
0: because we didn't see them go up and like try to feel around for it. I don't think they showed them, like, actually trying to run around and look it. No.
1: They were just like, where did it go? Where would it go? He's not here. Anyway, so Jack and Daniel are walking along their side of the box search when we hear this very loud buzzing noise, and Daniel looks up, and there's this sort of, he sees something, so he kind of, like, hisses at Jack to get his attention. He's like, psst, psst, I guess he doesn't want to scare the thing off, and we the camera turns to sort of see what Daniel's looking at, and there's this weird sort of, like, just sort of like disturbance in the the air. Something has been cloaked and is generally disturbing, but it's not, you can like see through it. Apparently we this is, this is the creature we've been looking for. So Jack tries to shoot it with a tranquilizer dart, but there's a blast from a staff weapon that frightens it off. And Jack's like, Tilk, why did you do that? And took like that, not me. I didn't do that. So we pan over to whoever that was and it's Apophis with what? these guards. Apophis is here. It's the return of Apophis, finally. Mighty interesting. So didn't we talk about before how is it was really
0: interesting how he actually went himself rather than sending minions?
1: Yeah, yeah. Like, he's there with minions because perhaps the minions, he, he got fed up of the minions he had sent returning empty-handed. So he decided to, like, maybe, like, go himself and be like, look, it's not that hard. I see, I got it. Why can't you guys do it? Is what he might be thinking or at least that's how i was able to rationalize it Mm -hmm. so daniel wants to go after apophis obviously because shara apophis we need this guy and jack's like i don't know because they didn't really come prepared for combat like they have their like sidearms but they don't have any of their usual sort of heavy combat weaponry because this is just supposed to be capture this creature come back to earth Tilk says that he probably only has two or three guards so it might not be too hard to take him down Sam doesn't want to do it either since they're, you know, just not prepared. And Daniel's like, well, what if we just shot Apophis with tranquilizer and took him back to Earth? Because we don't necessarily want to, we don't really want to kill Apophis because we need him to talk and tell us where Shari and Skara are. And, you know, they're kind of like, mm, maybe, but we still don't know where the Stargate is. And Tilk's like, but well, he'll have the homing device. So I guess we're going to try and capture Apophis now.
0: Plan B. Yes.
1: Plan, the plan the plan has morphed from capture of a possibly docile creature to capture of Apophis, which is a much quite bigger, drastic. A much, much bigger buzzing object. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he is. Tilk seems to sort of think that Daniel's idea is fairly sound as long as they take out the guard first. Jack's like, Tilk, are you sure you're okay with us doing this, considering what you were to Apophis and what Apophis was to you? And Tilk's like, yep, I'm fine. Let's go do this. So... Off they go and uh, Paphis and his guards are walking down a path through the woods and one guard goes to inspect a footprint on the ground because I guess there are footprints and they're not expecting other people to be there. So Tilk then jumps out and fires his staff weapon but it misses so the guards go on the attack. Sam and Daniel start firing from sort of like up on the ridge because the path they're walking down is sort of like in a little ravine type thing. So Sam and Daniel are up higher, start firing down on the guards. And Jack comes out and fires the tranquilizer gun at Apophis. And here we have the first appearance of the ghoul personal shield. So the dart just sort of bounces off the shield that is surrounding Apophis. And we're like, what? What is this thing? We don't know. It's like brand new. So then one of of his guards throws the staff weapon to Apophis. But, like, you see it sort of, like, pass through the shield. So there seems to be some sort of, like, momentum resistance to this thing. Sort of like a non-Newtonian fluid. Like, oobleck. When you were a kid, with was, like, like cornstarch and water. Where you slap it really hard and it's a solid. But if you just sort of sit your hand on it, it kind of just sinks right in. So that kind of seems to be how this technology works.
0: exact same thing. That's how you make it. Just cornstarch and water. Human shield.
1: Yep. Exactly. There you go. So Apophis has a staff weapon. He fires it at Jack, who dives out of the way, but he's not quick enough, and Jack takes the staff blast to the back. Sam jumps out to try and, like, get to him, which not, not a good idea, Sam. And so then she gets shot. Then Daniel's like, oh, no, my team, and he jumps out, and then he gets shot. So uh, Sam, Jack, and Daniel are all dead, and we're left with Tilk, who's sort of, like, facing off. Against Apophis, like Apophis is at one end of the path and Tilk is at the other. And here we get the first instance of Apophis calling Tilka Sholva, which is a traitor that will come back throughout the series many times. And Tilk just replies, Tell Shakamel, I die free. So- at this
0: point in time, when I first watched this, I I really thought it was going to be some sort of Groundhog Day time repeating itself. Teal has to save them. That's
1: not at all how it turned out, but it totally set it up that way. Yeah, because we're like 10 minutes into the episode and like everybody's going to die. But before Apophis shoots Tilk because, you know, he's an evil villain. So he has to do, you know, something standoffish. He kind of like looks around at all of the dead members of SG-1 like, oh, you're going to die like your team. Okay. So then he turns back to Tilk and uh, Tilk is gone and so are his name dragon daniel uh they're missing just like the stargate is missing what's going on this is weird what's happening i don't understand
0: the gravity on the planet's weird things just fly they float up they float away
1: oh okay so they're like up in the sky then yes okay
0: they don't show anyone looking up
1: that's true nobody does look up that's true nobody does look up totally fixed it great love it stamp (laughs) it check mark moving on So we cut to Daniel waking up in like like a hut thing and his injury has been fixed. Like he's got a big hole in his shirt, but he no longer has a hole in his stomach, which is good.
0: Good, but really weird fashion statement.
1: Yeah. Uh, He looks around and he sees Sam and she wakes up and she's alive too. And they're both confused because like we were dead, right? That was, that was, we got shot that we were, that was dead. Yes, dead. Okay. Uh, They find Jack. They wake him up. Very confused. Where are they? What's going on? Tilk's not there. Their sidearms are missing. This is very weird. And then a a strange older man with grass for hair or grassy headdress covering his hair. It's, I've, I've always been a little unclear as we were talking about earlier, whether this is their hair or some sort of headpiece. The Hobby Lobby people. The Hobby Lobby people. Uh, comes in followed by a woman who is similarly attired. Daniel introduces himself and Sam, and then Jack introduces himself and asks if they've seen Tilk. And these other people don't say anything. The woman just sort of beckons them to follow so they leave the hut and daniel tries a couple other languages to see if they respond to anything and they don't so the man and woman lead them to some seats around where there's like baskets of fruit and there's two more of these people there one very young one like older but still younger than the old man who came into the hut first so this older man tosses a piece of fruit to members of sg1 fun fact time Do you recognize this guy who tossed the fruit to SG-1?
0: I didn't at the time, and then you explained it to me in Epiphany. Yes, I did. After you totally pointed out what he's from, I totally did recognize him.
1: Yes, so in case you don't, it's Armin Shimmerman who played Quark on Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Yes! Yay! And so begins the appearance of various Star Trek cast members on SG-1. Because there are, there's quite a few of them. Some in fairly significant roles, which we'll, we'll get to when, when they show up.
0: Which is separate from the Vancouver bingo?
1: Yes, start. Yeah, Star Trek bingo is different from Vancouver Actors bingo.
0: Yes, okay, got it.
1: Daniel asks if these people, like, healed them. And again, they get no response. Daniel comments to Jack that he thinks they're a family. Jack goes, a family of what? Like, really, Jack? I mean, like, I get it, but, like, really? I don't know. Then the young boy gets up and sort of stands in front of Jack and just sort of stares at him for a bit before he runs off and return to see Tilk coming back into the camp. Well, Jack gets up and, you know, Tilk's like, I, he doesn't know what's going on around here either. He doesn't know where Apophis is or how far we might be from the gate. Everybody's still very confused at this point, has no idea what's going on. The little boy then goes to stand in front of Sam points at himself and says nefreyu so sam touches him and repeats nefreyu and the boy nods so apparently this little boy his name is nefreyu so sam then points at herself and says carter and then nefreyu does the same thing where he puts his hand on sam's shoulder and says carter and then they smile at each other and it's like super cute and adorable and jack goes no you can't keep him so we're starting to get somewhere we at least know this guy's name nefreyu and if you knows, she's named Carter. We have a very quick cut back to Apophis, who is apparently still standing in the ravine where he killed SG-1. And he says something to one of his guards who run off to do whatever he told them to do.
0: Yeah, that is a bad cut. That makes it seem like he's just been standing there the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> like, are they here? No. Where did they go? Have are they, they there? Yet?
1: If I just keep
0: standing here, are they going to come back?
1: It it, it is really weird how Apophis like does not move from this spot for like most of the rest of the episode until like the very end. He finally Are they moves. behind the
0: tree?
1: Are they behind the tree? No. Are they up there? No, they're not up there because nobody no. looks up. No. no. We don't know that. <laughs> we don't. We don't know anything. So back at the camp, they're cooking some food over fire and like sort of serving it to SG-1. And Jack again says that we need to ask them about the Stargate. And Daniel's like, I've tried. They just don't say much. And then Armin Shimmerman speaks up and says, I will take you to your doorway. What? Where did this come from? This is just like full and complete grammatically correct English sentence.
0: I did always find this funny about sci-fi shows when when species will learn the entire English language from like, two sentences someone has said to them where where they know the entire vocabulary.
1: Yeah, because, like, learning language is hard. Like, I mean, there's one thing to understand the grammatical rules, but then you also have to know all the exceptions to the grammatical rules. And then there's just, like, the vocabulary in general, just the words themselves, all the nouns and everything. And, like, I've been teaching myself Italian for, like, over a year now, and I know, like, 5%, maybe. And that's probably being very generous about trying to learn Italian and I have books and like audio CDs and I've done Duolingo and like a whole bunch of stuff like I wouldn't just like listen to Italian people speak for 10 minutes and understand everything but later in the episode though when Daniel's off with the older guy like walking through the woods Daniel asked this guy asked that guy if they're psychic and he doesn't really answer but then he answers a question daniel's starting to ask before daniel finishes answering it i do wonder if they maybe are a little psychic and somehow that was able to help them learn our language yeah that definitely would have helped but it still
0: wouldn't have helped them learn actual words that were not said
1: yeah, it's also interesting that he says doorway and not Stargate, because even if they were just reading our thoughts and he's hearing Jack speak, like Jack repeatedly says, we need to find the Stargate, we need to find the Stargate, we need to find the Stargate. But they call it the doorway, which is, I I, I wonder if that's their word for it, and they're able to deduce that we're talking about that thing, but then how were they able to translate whatever their word for doorway is into the English word doorway?
0: Do you suppose they learned it from the
1: Gould? Maybe because in the original movie, Richard Kind mistranslates the word Stargate as door to heaven. And then, you know, James Spader, Daniel Jackson comes in and is like, that's wrong. It's Stargate. (laughs) Which was always one of my favorite bits of the movie. But yeah, I don't know. I still just, I don't quite get why he says doorway and not Stargate. If they're learning our language from us and how we speak and our thoughts. mystery. I guess it's just one of the things we just, we got to go with. Otherwise we'll be here all day and we don't have that kind of time. (laughs) So he also says that our weapons are gone, but he won't say where, just that they saw us attack Apophis and his guards. So obviously we're bad people in their eyes. And SG-1 tries to explain that, no, that guy's the bad guy. We were just trying to, like, capture him and defend ourselves. But then there was a whole force field thing, which is apparently Tilk has never actually even seen this before. So is this something that Apophis developed in the last few months after, like, Tilk defected? Or is it just something that has always existed, but Apophis is just never used around Tilk?
0: I'm going to go ahead and think that it was... Uh, yeah, I'm going to allow myself to think um. <laughs> Please think <laughs> I I assume that it would have been something new because I don't know why it would have been kept from Tilk. You know, if you if you have that sort of technology, why would you hide it and not use it and be like, ha, I'm going to I'm bringing this out for a special day. Now, if they have technology <laughs> like that, they're going to use it like all the time. So I'm assuming it was probably new stolen technology.
1: Do you think it's because of Tilk? The fact that he like defected and betrayed Apophis that Apophis was like, I need something to protect myself besides my personal guards because apparently my personal guards will now turn on me.
0: Oh, that Tilk was just that important that he's like, yeah. aha, I need well, I need this other thing now.
1: Yeah. Well I mean Tilk was his first prime, who's like his second hand man, basically.
0: Oh man, that's like replacing somebody's job with a robot.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> Kind of. That's interesting. I don't need you anymore. I have this robot thing. I have this Uh other shield. So anyway, so the Nox reiterate that they will take us to the doorway and we will go. And Tilk then tries to explain that these people are now in danger since they saved SG-1 and Apophis is going to be looking for SG-1. So they're going to find these people. And we do finally get out of these people that they did heal SG-1 with their ways and Daniel says well we're looking to learn their ways and asks if they'll teach us no they're not going to teach us nope SG-1 is told then to like rest and they'll be taken to the doorway in the morning even though two seconds ago they were like you have to go now but apparently it's okay if we go in the morning now whatever Um, because
0: this is the prime uh, example of what I was talking about before when they meet an advanced civilization and they're like no you you will not understand we're not going to teach you you're babies you're just going to take what we give you and and misuse it no and treat mm-hmm. everybody like 5 year olds when like we don't ever do that in
1: sci-fi shows
0: because if yeah. we did we would look like the terrible most terrible people ever
1: yeah but so everyone is told to rest and it's it's fine if they don't leave till later because their brother won't revive until later uh, who because Sam, Jack, Tilk, and Daniel are all there. So who's their brother that still hasn't revived yet? They cloned someone. Did they? Who, who knows what powers these people had? Maybe they did. So the woman leads SG1 into this other hut where one of the Jaffa that Tilk shot is resting. Apparently this is their brother because, you know, he looks like them. So, okay. And the woman explains that... Uh, this Jaffa has resisted, has resisted their attempts to heal him which I'm guessing is probably because of the symbiote but it looks like he'll probably survive anyway so SG-1 then tries very simplistically to explain you know who the Jaffa is and who the Gould are and that even though this guy looks like Tilk he's not like us and he's a bad guy and this is where we learn that the name of these people are the Nox and that the weird invisible flying creature is called a Fenri so this is the creature we've been looking for. This stealthy thing is a uh, fenry. Jack asks if there are any elders he can speak to as they don't really seem to be like understanding like the very seriousness of this situation. And he leads Jack to Oprah, who's the old guy from earlier. And he's like, he's the eldest among us. And Jack's like, this is just this not going well. Like they don't. Get it. So, it seems it's now even more urgent for SG-1 to either leave or stay and help these people protect themselves from Apophis, because if Shackle, who that's the Drafa, if he survives, obviously he's gonna like run off and lead Apophis straight here. We want to help. They insist we leave. SG-1 sort of goes off to side to discuss what to do, and apparently Shackle served under Tilk when he was the first Prime, so Tilk Knows this guy very well. And Sam agrees that we have to do something. Since this whole situation is basically their fault. Because they attacked Apophis first. So they toss around the idea of maybe taking Shackle back to Earth with them. Instead of Apophis. But Tilk insists that Apophis won't let them leave. Which if nobody knows where the Stargate is. I don't know how Apophis is going to do that. But either way they're kind of just like stuck here for a while, Jack tells Tilk to go keep an eye on Shackle. And then the rest of them will just try to learn as much about the Nox as they can while they're stuck there.
0: And there it is. I think I mentioned before that when Jack was talking to one of the Nox and then asked, you know, if there was an elder that he could talk to, it was like the equivalent of a total Karen move. Like,
1: <laughs> <laughs> Can I speak to your manager?
0: Is there someone else that I can talk to you that is of some importance that will understand what I'm telling you?
1: Yeah, it's a bit like, okay, you don't understand. I need to talk to somebody else. So we cut back to Apophis, who is once again still standing in the woods where SG-1 died. They're looking for him. They're not behind that tree, man. And they're not under that rock over there. No. got to move on, Apophis. And one of his guards comes running in, and he says something in Gould about Shackle. And Apophis is still very confused about everyone about how everyone could have just disappeared unless they learned, quote unquote, the power of the beast. So apparently Apophis thinks SG1 learned how the Fenry thing makes itself invisible.
0: So it's a different issue though of just making yourself invisible versus versus completely disappearing.
1: Yeah, which we can get to that at the end because there there are some things I I, I do have questions about. With what exactly is happening. Okay proceed. Okay. So back at the Nox camp. Tilk is bound shackled with like ropes. So he can't run away when he awakens. Not in shackle. (laughs) Shackle is in shackles. (laughs) I can't help Uh, myself. I know. But uh, the woman Nox doesn't like it. And then she points out that shackles like already awake anyway. Even though he's been lying with his eyes closed perfectly still this whole time. The Nox seem to have some sort of touchy feely. That we don't. She's like, obviously he's awake, duh. Which I thought was kind of funny. Like her totally just like flipping, like, he's awake. But anyway, so here we get Tilk's first attempt to convince another Jaffa to like join him and how Apophis is, you know, a false god and all of that stuff. But like Shackles just not having any of it. he's like, nope, I'm staying with Apophis, my one true God. And I'm like, okay.
0: Well, I'm not really sure that Tilk really gave the most convincing speech.
1: Well, you know, it's 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 his first attempt. He's got to, you know, figure out what works and what doesn't. We'll get into it. This
0: conversation definitely figured out what did not work.
1: Yeah. <laughs> okay, this doesn't work. Okay, next time I got to try something else. So Daniel, Jack, and Sam are like off in the woods making bows and arrows. And Daniel doesn't really understand how effective something like a bow and arrow can be. Against the Parvis, I mean, I I don't either, but I guess it's better than nothing at this point. So Jack goes off a little bit to try out his bow and arrow, you know, away from people so he doesn't like shoot somebody accidentally. And the Freyu has followed him, and it works. Like they made a bow and arrow out of whatever stuff the Knox had at their camp, which I was actually I was quite impressed by because I I don't think I could do that. And I'm not sure if that's really something that gets taught in the Air Force, like how to make a bow and arrow. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Maybe Jack was a Boy Scout too, possibly. I don't know.
0: Ooh, do they teach how to make a bow and arrow in Boy Scouts?
1: Maybe. I don't know. My brothers were Boy Scouts. You'll have to ask. I Austin. should have asked. Him. At
0: what point in your life do men get
1: taken aside and trained to make <laughs> bow and
0: arrows in the woods?
1: <laughs> yeah. But anyway, like, yay for Jack. That was really cool. It worked. There's this really sort of interesting exchange now between Neferu and Jack and. So Nefreyu says, why do you want to fight them? And O'Neill says, I don't want to. And Nefreyu goes, then don't. O'Neill goes, it's not that simple. Look, I believe in peace just like you. I do. Nefreyu says, then why do you fight? And O'Neill says, because our enemy gives us no option. Sometimes turning the other cheek just doesn't work. I think this is sort of an interesting insight into Jack. And I don't I don't know if he's just like saying this because it's like a little kid or if you know he really does believe this because you know he is a soldier but he doesn't want to just fight people indiscriminately i guess he seems to be very much like a reactive like you attack us we'll attack you kind of thing i don't know it's it's a very interesting conversation i wonder how much is really what Jax thinks and how much is him just trying to appease this like eight-year-old boy
0: I feel like that's much more true to his character. He doesn't really seem like a shoot first, ask questions later type of person. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. While Jack and the Freya are off in this little sort of clearing, a Fenry appears and it's uncloaked. And it's like, I don't know, it's kind of actually like scary looking. Like it's this huge, like weird dragonfly mosquito thing with this weird like head and like the tail with the thing on it. And like, I, I, I don't like looking at this thing. It makes me go like, oh, Ooh, oh it really God. does look like one of
0: those things from Alien that like plants himself on their face. It does like, but yeah, but like,
1: but flying and, flying. Like, and like 12 feet long, probably like this thing is like massive. At yeah. least it looks like it's massive. I don't know. It's gross. So Jack tries to shoot it down with a bow and arrow, but unfortunately it flies off. So that didn't work, but we tried. Then we jump over to Daniel and Oprah, who are are wandering through another part of the forest. And Oprah, like, runs his finger through some sap that's, like, oozing out of a tree and eats it. And then he does it again, and he offers some to Daniel. And he's like, here, eat. And Daniel's like, no, no, thanks. That That's fine. And so he asks if this is where the Nox get their medicine. And Oprah explains that they get life from the forest. Daniel tries to get some knowledge of their medicine and how they healed SG-1. And then this is where we also have that like psychic conversation where Daniel asks, you know, are they psychic? And Oprah sort of answers his question before Daniel finishes answering it. And Oprah does agree that SG-1 has much to learn, but knowledge takes time. They have a little conversation about how old Oprah is. And so Daniel explains how we mark the passage of time on Earth. So Oprah does some quick mental math, and apparently Oprah is 432 years old. Which
0: still doesn't mean anything.
1: Yeah, because how long is the year on this planet? A year could be like a month Earth time, so... But either way, he's 432. I don't know if that's Earth years or Nox years, but anyway. there he's we go. old. He's old.
0: Old, wise, learned man.
1: Jack is still in the clearing where he shot at the Fenri when Antaeus, which that's Armin Shimmerman's character appears like out of nowhere so apparently it's not the fenry that have the stealth capability it's the nox what yeah that was a big
0: reveal too that was a big
1: reveal yeah because i mean that took me by surprise when i first saw it i was like oh, what because who would have thought like you know these people are the ones that are like cloaking other creatures for some reason so Jack's now, like, even more importantly, like, you need to not, like, you need to let us help you. Because if the Gould know it's you that do this, then, like, you're in trouble. Like, the Gould will not leave you alone. And then he is like, we'll be fine. It's fine. But, you know, Jack doesn't look convinced because he needs to help them. And cut back to Daniel and Oprah. And Daniel asks Oprah how long the Gould have been coming here to hunt, and he says, for as long as he can remember. So Daniel asks if they ever considered burying the Stargate to stop the Gould coming through. And Oprah goes, well, then that they would know that somebody had buried it. Because as far as the Gould are concerned, the Fenri are the only creatures on this planet and the Nox don't exist. So good, good point, Oper, I guess. But they never really do explain why they cloak it. Like why if they know
0: that people come to this planet in search of this thing that they think knows how to cloak itself, why would you even bait them with that option? Yeah. You know, take away take away the fascination of, oh, it somehow has cloaking technology. Like
1: what why would you even do that? It's like I wonder if, you know, they didn't do it for a while and then the gold no, because the gold wouldn't have come to hunt them if they weren't cloaking them like at some point the gould had to be there and like see one of them get cloaked and disappear because yeah otherwise there's no reason to hunt the creature if they think it's just a big mosquito thing they should
0: have they should have gone into the story a little bit more with that one i think so it's a very easy question of why
1: are you cloaking
0: these things
1: yeah if you know that people are looking for the thing that knows how to cloak. It is, I think, the lingering... Do we need to try and answer the question? Oh. Is, is that is, is that the... I have questions for this episode. Why were the Nox even cloaking the Fenry in the first place if they were trying to hide from everybody and not let people know that they were there?
0: The only thing that possibly made sense to me was if the Fenry is considered some sort of endangered species and they were trying to preserve it.
1: I can and see it went, that.
0: And it went awry.
1: So maybe the Fenri were originally being hunted for some other purpose. And then at some point the ghoul came to hunt it and it was invisible. Or one of the ghoul or Jaffa saw it being made invisible. And then they were like, oh, it's even more important now that we
0: get this thing. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, yep. Okay. It's really the only thing that makes sense to me.
1: Okay, I buy it. Let's go with mm-hmm. that. Sweet. You can do that. So back at the camp, Daniel tells everyone how old Oprah is and that they aren't human and well, the humanoid, but not human, which. okay. so here's a question I have. So the premise of the movie and sort of the early days of the series is that the gold came to Earth, kidnapped ancient Egyptians and then possibly other cultures and then took them to other planets and left them there. So, is the show now positing that humanoid life also developed independently on other planets without intervention of the ghoul? Or are these people highly evolved? ancient egyptian peoples like they are earth humans that have somehow massively jumped along the evolutionary chain
0: i think once they started the show they kind of threw that idea out the window because otherwise every planet they would have gone to would have had descendants of egyptian people on it right And they have in the show such a range of of cultures. They have like medieval people and they have, uh, you know, all sorts of different weird uh, earth world timelines, like frozen in time on these different worlds. That I think, in order to just have a range, they were like, well, we're just going to stretch that a bit. And yes, there are other people out there. So I think. I think having the Nox does open up the window of, yes, there are people that evolved from somewhere else, but probably most of the Gould are taken from Earth. Okay. Or the Japal, or, you know, right. those people that they enslaved
1: were from right. Earth. Okay. I buy that. Which, I mean, it, it does make sense because, you know, the reason life is able to be Here on Earth is because of our very sort of specific proximity to like the sun and everything that creates the exactly perfect environment. And so, if these planets where the ghoul took people like also had to be life supporting, so they would be in you know similar atmospheres and locations within their star system to Earth, I would guess. After Daniel telling everybody that they're not quite human, they're not human, they're humanoid, but not human. And then Jack tell, drops the bomb about that it's the Nox that hide the Fenry, And the rest of the team agree that, like, okay, yeah, we really do need to protect the Nox from the Apophis because he'll either enslave them all or, like, kill them all. Whatever. And so in order to do that, they have to get Shackle out. And then, once again, Antaeus appears out of nowhere, which seems to be a thing he enjoys doing, just sort of, like, uncloaking himself spontaneously <laughs> around people. And he says that, you know, the Knox don't trust SG1 with their enemy and that they're not afraid of Apophis. And, you know, Daniel and SG1 and everybody tries to explain that, you know, this is our fault. We want to fix it. We're not going to hurt Shaka. We just want to take him with us so the ghoul won't try and look for him and just we want to take him and go is what they want to do so cut over to apophis who's still looking for the gate in that little ravine that he's been standing in for the whole episode they still can't find it so he commands his soldiers to go and try and find tilk i guess if they can't find the gate they can find tilk tilk is having another conversation with shackle to try and get him to betray apophis and come with them freely And Shackle's, like, not going to do that and just start, like, screams, like, out of nowhere. And so, Laia, who's the the female knocks. her name is Laya, she comes rushing in to see what's happening. And Shackle, like, breaks out of his bonds and, like, stabs Tilk. Shackle breaks his shackles? Shackle breaks his shackles. And, like, stabs Tilk and runs off. And then Tilk yells for Jack, who comes running. And we see Laia laying unconscious on the ground which are we to assume that like Shackle also stabbed her? Because I don't think we saw that or that there was enough time for him to stab both. But I always
0: I always assumed that's what happened because they okay. made a really big deal out of showing the fact that he had a knife.
1: Okay, so just weird editing somehow. Yeah, left out like getting stabbed. Okay, so Shackle's run off has run off. Sam is tending to Tilk's wound, and apparently the other Nox have taken Laia away somewhere. And then while we're sort of focusing on Tilk, we then sort of see them, like, in front of the hut, sort of, like, phasing in and out while Laya is laying on this bed thing, and the other three are standing over her with their eyes closed and, like, their hands out. So they're doing some sort of ritual of some kind, probably, you know, trying to heal her. And we see Shackles is still really nearby sneaking through the woods and he also sees this. So he sees the Nox phasing in and out and, you know, probably then understands, oh, it's these guys who have the invisibility thing, not the Fenry. And then Laya wakes up and she's healed. So, yay. Yay. She's alive. And Antea confirms that this is what they did to SG-1 and that when they perform the healing ritual, they can't keep themselves hidden. Which implies that
0: they keep themselves hidden all the time.
1: It does, actually. Which they don't,
0: because they're present for the whole episode. I didn't really understand that part. I thought that was an interesting comment, or, you know, an interesting turn of events for the episode.
1: Yeah, and, like, if, you know, the healing ritual requires so much concentration power or whatever that they can't keep themselves hidden, why don't they just stay unhidden? Why are they sort of, like, phasing in and out? Right, Tilk is tracking shackle. <laughs> last week this was a tongue twister for me. It took a while to get right. So Tilk is tracking shackle. Did through you the woods. get did you get to say it three times fast? Did you practice? I didn't, but I think just last week got it cemented in my mouth so I was able to say it this time. So Tilk is tracking Shackle through the woods and Nefreyu comes running up and like wants to go with them and Jack's like, no, get back to camp and off they go. Shackle's running through the woods yelling, Estra, Estra, when Tilk and Jack sort of come upon him, sort of like they're sort of back in the ravine and Jack and Tilk are up high again and Shackle's down on the ground and he's found the other guards. And is, I'm, I'm assuming he's sort of telling them about what he's seen and what has happened and that it's the Nox and everything that, you know, have the invisibility thing. And here's a fun fact. So I decided to, like, look up if estra actually means anything, is, like, an actual, like, foreign word. And according to Google, translate estra is a Greek word meaning scoop. So I was wondering if it's supposed to be Shackle yelling sort of, like, I have news, I have news, like, like, that kind of scoop, like, you know, information, news, like, I have something to tell you kind of thing. Like old-timies from the 20s, man? yeah.
0: Like, yeah, man. What's a scoop, yo? What's the scoop. Yeah. I still say that to people. I don't know who says that anymore. What's a scoop?
1: I don't know. It's been a while since I've said that. I used to say that, too. I don't think the I've said it recently. say it, I guess. Apparently the ghoul do. <laughs> What's a scoop, man? So SG-1 is back at the camp trying to impress the seriousness of the situation upon the Nox. You know, Shackle has found Apophis and the other guards. They're gonna be here. You guys need to, like, hide. You need to leave. You need to, like, let us go. And Antaeus said, you know, nothing's changed for us. We're not afraid. We'll take you to the doorway. You can go. And then Oprah comes in and asks where Nefreyu is, uh, because apparently he didn't run back to the camp like Jackson. Jack's like, I told him to. And then Anteas says what's probably one of the most quoted lines of SG-1, at least back in the day it was, it might still be. But so Antaeus goes, the very young do not always do what they are told yeah the very young do not always do what they are told so
0: anyone who's ever met a child knows this
1: (laughs) yes so we cut to Apophis walking through the woods with his guards and we come he comes upon Nefreyu who's just sort of standing in the clearing it looks like the same clearing he was in with Jack earlier maybe it is maybe it's just you know not supposed to be the same one but a different one but um it's this big sort of open clearing and he sort of introduces himself to Apophis, like, hi, I'm Nefreyu. And, like, Apophis then, like, holds out, like, his hand, like, palm forward with the, you know, the little hand weapon thing. And then we come back to SG-1 real quick, walking through the woods, who then SG-1 comes upon Nefreyu, who is now laying unconscious on the ground. And so the Nox pick him up and take him back to camp. And Sam's like, this feels like a trap. Jack's like, yeah, this is a trap. They follow the Nox back and Jack wants their weapons so that they can protect the Nox while they do the ritual. No, you're not getting their weapons. We got to heal the you. And Jack's like, gets all mad and is like, fine, we'll find our own way to the gate. Do what you want. And Daniel's like, but we need to stay and help them. And like, no, that's an order. So off she went, go to try and find the gate. But wait, because O'Neill says to Sam while they're walking off, think they bought it? Carter goes, almost believed it myself.
0: Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. There's another plan afoot.
1: Yes, so apparently they knew Apophis left Nefrayu there as a trap, so then we laid a trap for Apophis to make Apophis think we were leaving the Nox there all by themselves. So, because at this point, I think they're working with the assumption that the Nox are more important than SG-1 because the Nox had the whole cloaking thing. So, I guess we're going to try and surprise Apophis again.
0: Because it worked out really well the first
1: time. I know. It did. It worked so well last mm-hmm. time. Yeah. So Laia suggests taking the Freyu to the others, but that would take too long. So apparently there's more Nox somewhere around here. They start the ritual, and then we cut to Jack, who's away off in the woods, and he's, like, tying a tranquilizer dart to one of the arrows that they made. So this is where we get what the plan is. Shackle thinks they're unarmed which they are, except for that, like, one arrow that Jack has and a couple of the other bow and arrows that they have. Apophis thinks he's invulnerable with shield, but Jack noticed what we noticed earlier, that the the staff weapon was able to get through. And also, staff weapons aren't great at close-range combat, so they're going to try and, like, get in real close, like, disarm the guards and go into, like, a hand-to-hand combat. And then, once the guards are taken out, the arrow... Should be slow enough to get through the shield and get a poffus.
0: I wasn't really sure about that one, but I went with it.
1: Yeah, I'm like, because you know, there's gun speed and then there's hand toss speed, and the arrow would be somewhere in the middle of those things. But oh, I got it! You got the mosquito,
0: I did get the mosquito. Can we pause? I need to go get
1: yeah.
0: a Yeah, go wash your hands. <laughs> I don't know at what point in time I messed up your explanation.
1: I got the mosquito. You guys got it. Yay. Rachel got the mosquito. It's fine. We can move on. So we're hoping the arrow will be somewhere in between gun speed and somebody tossing a staff weapon speed is basically, fingers crossed, that's what we're hoping. It's a we're really big ready. window of speed. <laughs> I know. It, it is a pretty big margin of error. And you know, who knows exactly where the threshold is? I mean, I guess it, at this point it can't hurt to try. And at the least, the dart will just fall to the ground. And then maybe somebody can run over and pick it up and, like, stab at him, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Shake. Yeah.
1: Michael shanks. Michael shanks. So we see uh, Daniel like burying Jack in like leaves on the ground and then calls out that they're coming. And so the rest of Eshwin is just sort of like standing up hidden like behind trees. But Jack is really like buried because he's the one that's got the tranquilizer dart. Tilk comes out from behind his tree, smacks one of the Jaffa with a tree branch in the head. Jack reaches out and trips another Jaffa that's walking by and then Tilk comes to help take out that guy. And he tosses Daniel one of the staff weapons and Daniel fires it at the third Jaffa. And then there's this really sort of funny quick cut back to the Nox, who look really annoyed at all like the shooting and loud noises that are happening. They're like, just roll on their eyes and are like, is this what's happening now? This is, I can't believe this is where we are and this is what's happening. And then, and, but Antaeus just like grabs their hands and they focus back on the ritual, which they're going to heal. Nefreyu, it'll be fine. Back at the fight. Sam's like on top of one of the Jaffa and then the Jaffa like flips her over and is getting ready to like shoot her. But luckily Daniel's able to take him out first and we see Apophis kind of slinking off because we're actually like winning this fight miraculously. And he like turns around to find Jack waiting there with his bow and arrow and Apophis says fool I will kill you when Jack quips again. In typical Jack manner, and he shoots his arrow, and is he gonna make it? We don't know because Apophis disappears before the arrow hits. No.
0: Do you suppose at any point in time SG One comes back from a mission and they're like, "Dude, you guys, we died back there." I So maybe. I mean, did they all go
1: back to like Jacks house and be like, "Dude, we
0: died." I mean, you'd think they'd all at least have like therapy sessions, you yeah. know, after briefing of each thing where they go, D- "I." I
1: died back there, man. Well, this is Daniel's like second death. So he's used to it by now. <laughs> <laughs> many more to come. He has many more to come. Uh, but yeah. This is number two for Daniel, but I mean, maybe they have like a psychiatrist on staff or something because I imagine going to visit planets in general would be quite the mind. Fuck.
0: That would also be a very interesting um, mission report of like what I'm, so I'm reading through this and you, you died. Oh, Okay. <laughs>
1: yeah well you look great (laughs) i was mostly they were mostly dead
0: (laughs) (laughs) only mostly dead (laughs) Only mostly
1: dead um just give them some chocolate and they'll be fine so jack is obviously very upset about apophis being disappeared by the nox because he was so close he was right there it was so close we were almost done but it's over it's gone apophis is gone it's done so then we cut to sometime later and SG-1 are heading back to the plateau where the gate was. And Antaeus and Nefreyu are there. And Antaeus says he sent Apophis back through the gate. And then that when SG-1 is gone, they will go ahead and bury the gate. And Jack's like, but they'll come in ships. But don't worry, they'll be fine. So Antaeus like reaches out and waves his hand. And there's a giant floating city in the sky. The Nox are just not just, like, a primitive forest-dwelling folk. They actually have fairly advanced technology. I think they'll be okay, but now they're going to bury the gate, and we can never come back, because... What
0: what do you think it was that made them finally go, okay, we should probably bury this gate? If the whole time they were like, we're fine, we're fine, you don't understand, we're fine, and then all of a sudden I... they're like, yeah, we'll bury the gate.
1: I think it was just SG-1. <laughs> I mean, maybe not in the sense of just, oh, now there's other people coming. You know, it's not just the gould anymore. Like, they knew how to handle the gould. But now, if there's these kind of people out there, okay, like, we're done.
0: Meddling kids.
1: Yes, because Jack once again says, the very young do not always do what they are told. The end. So, okay. Here's, okay, so the question about the whole, like, disappearing cloaking because, like, Antaeus, like, reveals the gate and it it seems like the gate was always there, just we couldn't see it. And, like, with the Fenry the Fenry is still there. It's just cloaked. And, like, the city is always there, just cloaked. But, like, when SG-1 disappeared, they seem to, like, disappear, disappear, not, like, be cloaked unless the Nox can also move really fast and, like, cloak them and carted them off instantly. So, yeah, that's where I'm I'm a little unclear if it's just cloaking or actually like making it not be there like in the like in the actual physical sense and not just making it look like it's not there.
0: I don't know. It was yeah, it was kind of both. I think they were yeah. very liberal with the whole idea
1: of invisibility. I don't know. What do you guys think? Is it just cloaking? Is it actually like making the thing actually not be there? Is it a little bit of both? Is it whatever they want to do and whatever mood they're in <laughs> is what they do? So the other thing um, we've been talking about is like the episode titles. So the Knox obviously is, you know, the name of these people, but I decided to also try and research if Knox like actually like means anything in like any other language, if there's any kind of etymology for it. So turns out Knox is Latin for night. Which, I mean, kind of makes sense, because if you think, you know, night, you know, people usually talk about night as, like, things being, like, hidden in the night, hidden darkness, darkness night. The Nox are, like, you know, hiding themselves and hiding the Fenry and all of that stuff. So I think there's maybe sort of, like, that meaning of it. And then there's actually a Roman goddess called Nox, who her Greek counterpart is Nyx. And so... Like the
0: makeup company?
1: Yeah, NYX, Nyx, yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But, um, she sounds really kind of badass. So she was the goddess of the night and one of the, like, original primordial gods who emerged at the dawn of creation. Uh, she was one of the children of chaos. And with Erebus, who is darkness, she produced Aether and Hemera, who are light and day, and then by herself she spawned other dark spirits, including the three fates, sleep, death, strife, and pain.
0: Oh my, she was busy.
1: Yeah. So she's usually depicted as either a winged goddess or charioteer, sometimes crowned with like a dark mist halo thing. Okay, well anything else about the Nox, Rachel? Any other lingering questions? that No! You have?
0: I enjoyed this episode but it was it definitely is one of one of the sci-fi ones that annoys me where a more advanced culture just goes "Ah, children no and that's like the whole episode
1: all right well thank you everybody for listening this week you can find us on twitter at sg underscore rewatch or email us at woo that's w-o-o-s-g rewatch at gmail.com don't forget to rate and review us please And we will see you next week for Brief Candle. Bye, everybody. Bye.